2020 Network is brought to you by Interact. The other day, I received a phishing link, and it turns out I'm not the only one. According to Interact, almost a quarter of Canadians have clicked on a phishing link. If you, like me, are interested in learning more about how you can protect yourself against fraud, visit interact.ca slash fraud prevention. Welcome to Quality Content on the 2020 Network presented by Interact. I'm your host, Alex Patterson. Now, I don't know a lot about you as a listener. I know that you're likely Canadian. I know that you're probably listening to this on your phone and not on your computer. And I can reasonably assume that because you're listening to a Think Tank's podcast network that you're more or less politically aware. Beyond that, though, you're a mystery to me. But because you're likely Canadian, there is one thing I'm pretty certain of. And that's if I ask you to describe your favorite Canadian Heritage Minute, you could 100% do it. Maybe it's the one where James Naismith cuts the bottom out of a peach basket and invents basketball. Or where Nellie McClung stages a mock parliament for the suffragettes. Maybe it's Jacques Plante's blood-covered Montreal Canadiens sweater as he straps a goalie mask on for the first time. Or maybe it's, and say it with me now, Doctor, I smell burnt toast. The Heritage Minutes, those 60-second vignettes produced by Historica Canada, have been with us since 1991. And in that time, they have become an iconic part of Canadian culture. And for many, an essential entry point into the human stories embedded in Canada's shared history. So today on the show, I talked with Anthony Wilson-Smith. He's the president and CEO of Historica Canada. We chatted about the work that goes into producing each minute, how they choose the stories that they do, and how the kinds of stories that they tell has evolved and expanded over time to include more people left in the margins of Canadian history. And I should note that you will also be treated to me on more than one occasion, breathlessly letting my grade 10 history nerd flag fly. And for that, I make very few apologies. I think you'll enjoy it. And joining me on the line from Toronto is the President and CEO of Historica Canada, Anthony Wilson-Smith. Anthony, hi. Hi. How are you doing today? Very well, very well. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me today. Um, you know, off mic, we were sort of saying that the kind of interviews that, that we're doing here on Quality Contents are sort of that Venn diagram between Canadian culture and history and media. And and I think weirdly at the exact center of that is Historica Canada and, and the kind of stuff that you guys do. So I want to start with just a really basic question. I think a lot of people know about the Heritage Minutes, but sort of in a more broader sense, what does Historica Canada do? Yeah, we reach us. We reach about 21 million Canadians a year. Um, the big uh, reach for that, you know, a very significant part of that is the minutes, of course, um, which are generally seen by an audience. We'll talk, I know we'll talk about them later, but of about two million, uh, we get from one to two million usually upon release in about the first month. And then we do the Canadian Encyclopedia. Uh, everything we do is in both official languages. The Canadian Encyclopedia had 14 million unique users last year. Uh, as far as we know, it's the only national encyclopedia of its kind in the world. And of course has been around since the 80s in print form, is online only now, uh, which allows us to update things on a daily basis. We have a team of about eight or nine editors on that and hundreds of freelancers. Then we do, I won't give you chapter and verse on everything, but we do the memory project where we arrange about uh, a little over 2,000 visits to schools every year by veterans beginning in World War II, still still doing speeches right up to the present day with Afghanistan veterans. Uh, We have encounters with Canada where we bring kids from across the country to meet and greet and if 
facility we own right in Ottawa. Uh, we do Indigenous arts and stories and have another Indigenous-related program coming up. And then we'll do smaller educational-focused things during the year, three- to five-minute mini-documentaries we make available to schools again for free. So that's a full slate, um, and it's 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 a really robust agenda. Does that get lost when people just all they want to do is talk to you about Heritage Minutes because they feel such a personal attachment to them because they grew up with them? Well, I'm never going to complain to anybody who says the minutes are what it's all about for them. But what we say about the minutes is they're a doorway into everything else. You know, I often say that uh, if all people know about history is the minutes, that's not nearly good enough. But what we, what we want them to do and what we think they succeed very well at is people see something, they say, wow, that's really cool or that's just crazy. I had no idea that ever happened or that existed. I think I'm going to find out more. And then we point them to the encyclopedia or one of our other programs or, you know, other organizations around that do very good work or authors or otherwise and say, go to it, have fun. Well, so, so give me a sense of scale with, with, with Historica Canada. Like, how many people work for Historica Canada right now? Well, I'm not only the resident, but the only gray hair in the office, uh, the only one, pretty much the only one north of 50. Uh, our staff in general would probably skew from about 20, age 23, fresh out of school, to maybe mid-30s. A couple of our managers are up kicking around at 40. But, the, you know, we've got about 30 to 35 people at any given time in our head office here and about another 40 to 50 at our facility in Ottawa. A whole lot of our staff here are, um, with the notable exception, again, of me, are MAs or PhDs. In history, um, you know, we've got a, we're all pretty, or generally most of us, you know, there's a very high degree of bilingualism and also some other languages as well. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, and people from all over the country. So it's a well-schooled group, literally. I did want to ask about the skill set of, uh, of, of what you look for, for the people that, that work for you, because there's, there's a huge foundation in history, but you're such good storytellers as well. So, you know, is there a complementary skill set that you look for, for the people that work at Historica Canada? Yeah, obviously, there, we see a lot of people, you know, with degrees related to history is a big passion, but we have others as well. I mean, we've got some philosophy majors, we've got poli-sci, we've got Red Cross. We look, because we, we look for different skill sets, too. We do organize some live events, uh, not as many as we used to, and we're much, much more, I tend to say, of a, a digital online production company focused on, you know, focused on history and citizenship issues. But it starts with a passion for Canada, you know, a real enthusiasm. We, you know, we regard social media savvy as, uh, as pretty essential these days. You get some event organizers coming in. Uh, we also need people who are good on the phones. You know, if you're going to spend your days dealing with veterans who, you know, are often well into their 90s and then going back to schools and dealing with people you've never met other than the other end of a phone, you need to be sincere and you need to be persuasive. So it's, uh, you know, it's a pretty vast skill set. So I do want to talk to you about the Heritage Minutes. <laughs> sure, <laughs> because, of course. Because, Turn I mean, me loose. Well, because I mean, I'm making a, a certain, what I think is going to be a fair assumption, is that when people learn uh, who you are, what you do, pretty shortly after that introduction, they immediately tell you about their favorite Heritage Canada Minute. Is, is, that, is that fair to say? That is absolutely bang on, and I cannot have those conversations too many times. Love having them. <laughs> so what's so? I, I guess just pure curiosity. Like, which one gets referenced the most? Like, what do you hear most? Is like, you know, all oh, this resonated so much for me when I was a kid. Well, you know, the tagline, Alex, is, of course, you know, I smell burnt toast from the Wilder Penfield one years ago. Everybody knows that. And the other is, you know, the other big one is, you know, is a more somber one, but is the Halifax explosion, and I've got to stop the train. That's the one um, for me. That That is the one for me that was such a, a 
indelible moment in my childhood between cartoons. And, you know, I immediately then went and I think it did the exact thing that you wanted it to do. I went and talked to my parents and wanted to learn more. And didn't you find, or, you know, it's asking to remember back a ways, but then you find out about the Halifax explosion, which a lot of people otherwise had no idea even happened. And you said, that's unbelievable that I couldn't know that a whole city decimated all of this enormous sense of loss. You know, uh, one of our most historic cities, just, just like absolutely leveled and, and, you know, and lots of people don't know about it. But I, I, so I think that that is an interesting gateway into what I want to talk about with the, the Heritage Minutes. It's, there's a really bland, historical, um, systematic way in which you can tell the story about what happened, right? But we'll, we'll use the Halifax Explosion Minute as an example. You use the f- story of one man who was trying to stop the trains. Like the, Your entry point into that moment in history is very personal and it's very human. And I'm wondering how often do you take that approach? Is that something that, is that the standard you set for the minutes that you produce? That's pretty much, you know, there are exceptions, but pretty much always a rule. Because, you know, the thing about history that always strikes me is everybody thinks about history and they think it's boring. And it is when it's only about dates and, you know, and names and old black and white pictures and, you know, and, and discussions about events that took place. History is about people, you know. What you have to do is, it is, it's storytelling and you have to give people a sense that here we are 50, 100, sometimes 250 years ago in these stories we have. And these were people like us. So sure, they didn't have mobile devices. They didn't have electricity to turn lights on and off, but they had, you know, in the end, they had the same kind of loves, hates, fears, you know, relationships, um, you know, emotions at basic times, you know, reactions to horrible things or joyous events, you know. So if you can give people a sense that they were just, you know, pretty much like you and me, then suddenly people say, huh, I think I want to know more about that. Like, tell me more about that person. And from that person, then you build out. The other side of this is just how well produced they are. Last week I was talking to uh, two people that are actually going to be no- nominated for the best animated short and you know their their film that they it's the directors and the writers of Animal Behavior they're up for an Oscar this year. Mm-hmm. And um you know they work in like 15 to you know 20 minute increments for their their shorts. Um we're literally talking about minutes here and the production value that goes into telling these stories. I I I got to ask like what does the team look like? Like, how do you construct uh, an entire uh, crew and team uh, for something so small? Well, I mean, they really are not just mini motion pictures, they're micro motion pictures, but I mean, they have the same production value. So to give you a sense, Alex, I mean, producing, you know, we, we tend to say the average for producing two minutes, we tend to do two at a time, will be somewhere about from three to 350, 350,000. Although shooting an individual minute, I would say I'd be more comfortable saying somewhere around 250,000. Um, you know, that's a good budget for 60 seconds. But, you know, but at the same time, you've got to assemble, of course, a production team, you've got to do all the same heavy lifting, but just for a much shorter period of time. So we have um, we have three staff people full time here, you know, and I engage in this as well. But three full time people on the minutes here in our Toronto office, and then what the process is, you know, we then work with professional filmmakers. So we'll put it in an RFP, a request for proposal, uh, with an eye to making a minute about nine months from now. We invite proposals from across the country, and our present round just upcoming. I think we had 114 applications, so I had no idea wow. there were that many wow. professional production companies in the country. And then we talk to them about. Um, 
what kind of minutes would you have in mind? How would you make them? Give us an idea. Tell us how you do your budgeting so we can see where you spend your money. And, you know, for the most part, we leave you know the filmmaking to them. Although increasingly we have uh, our head of uh, our head of the minutes, um, Davida Aronovich, is um, is has become quite a good screenwriter herself. And you know we work with companies who know how to make movies. Nobody else knows how to do it in 60 seconds. And actually, that's the part where we're very good. That and the level of historical research, which is our real boasting point. I mean, we, we are fanatics about accuracy. So just clarify something for me. Do you come up with the concept for here's the story that we want to tell and then send it out to a, a host of potential filmmakers and say, hey, what's your take? Or do you say, hey, you know, we're open to submissions and people submit their ideas for the minute that they want to tell? Well, you know, all of the above and then some, Alex. So what will happen is uh, by now you can imagine after uh, 19, after coming up on 28 years of making these, there's a substantial backlog of ideas. Also, the same ideas will tend to come up time and again, or the same, the same events, but told in different ways. So we'll have a starting point. We, you know, we're always looking at our mix and saying what elements of history, what, ele- what eras, what also what, you know, what groups societally within Canada have we not covered who have stories to tell. Uh, sometimes filmmakers will bring them forward. Uh, sometimes we'll see an event pitched seven or eight times by different filmmakers till we finally look and say, that's it. That's the one. You know, like they've really got the idea. Or sometimes we'll go into it and say, we're looking at a minute from a particular perspective. Do you feel comfortable making it in this way? Because that's the direction we know we want to move in. And sometimes it'll literally be, you know, we've, I mean, I do, you know, not, the second thing, Alice, is not only do people say, I want to tell you about my favorite minute. That's probably the second most often observation somewhere after, here's the minute you've got to make. Right, 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 right. And, and, and so, I mean, in those conversations that you've had and in the, um, the application processes and in your conversations with filmmakers and historians, have you noticed a shift at all in the kinds of stories that people want to tell? Well, Yes, and uh, it's one we think is terrific. It makes our jobs a little harder, but in a kind of an exhilarating way. I mean, you know, as we are more multicultural, as we are not as homogenous as, you know, as we were for much of this country's history, different groups want their stories told, uh, you know, and feel that they have, you know, that that will be compelling for a lot of people. And also we see people willing and interested in hearing stories about groups other than their own, which may not have been the case 20 or 25 years ago. So, for example, you know, our recent minutes have dealt, you know, we did one on Lucy Maud Montgomery, which was not only about her great success in writing Anne of Green Gables, but touched on her acknowledged struggles with depression, mm-hmm. uh, with sexism at that point. Um, you know, our, our most successful minute in terms of viewings online ever is what we call the Egan Minute, which is an LGBTQ uh, minute focused on uh, a gay couple who were initially denied spousal rights and took that fight to the Supreme Court and eventually resulted in a change to Canada's Charter of Rights back in the 90s. And then, you know, we've talked about uh, the history of, of Afro or black, you know, black Canadians, particular achievements. Obviously, Indigenous has a focus that it didn't before. And you can keep going through the list, you know, uh, both great moments and ones that are worth knowing, but far less to be celebrated. Earlier on in, in the season here, I had a conversation with uh, the host of The Secret Life of Canada, and um, which is a, an awesome podcast on, on, on CBC. And one of the things that they highlighted for me was 
um, looking between the lines of history. So uh, the example being that they gave me was, you know, there was a, a general uh, in in the armies who was always known for being very clean and very proper and, and pressed. His clothes were always pressed. And, um, you know, we would typically focus on who's this man and, and what did he do? But the on the fringes of that being like, well, who did his laundry? Like who, like what mm-hmm. was the ecosystem of people um, that were, uh, you know, likely people of color, likely minorities, likely um, disenfranchised people who kept that facade afloat. And that's interesting to hear that there's there's those sort of between the lines moments starting to make its way into your production process. Yeah, I mean, a good example, I think, of that is uh, right in my first year with the organization in 2012, and, um, you know, we received funding to make two minutes on 1812. So, the you know, one obvious route to go was just find some of the heroes in there whose names are well-known or lesser-known who did heroic things. But instead, the approach taken, and I'm not going to take credit for this because it was others who did it right before it came in, but, but uh, chose two groups to focus on. One was an all-black regiment that was recruited by a former slave who had come to Canada and appreciated his freedom and was insistent that he wanted the right and others like him to fight for the equivalent of Canada in the war of 1812. And the other was uh, Richard Pierpoint, his name is. And, um, and the other was a, a small indigenous group that, uh, that held of about 100 uh, soldiers on the, again, you know, pro-Canadian side, who held back a, an American force in one of the pivotal battles of the war for about a full day and long enough to allow reinforcements to get up to the tide of the battle to be turned. And through that second one, I learned, which I'd never had a clue about before, that fully 10% of the troops on the British or pro-Canadian side in, in the War of 1812 were indigenous. So an enormous representation. Wow. Um, one of the things that I'm, I'm fascinated by um, with, with institutions such, of, such as yours that, has, that it works in broadcast media and has, uh, you know, quite frankly, lasted so many years. Um, you've, you know, you used to be, you know, straight broadcast. I would watch the minutes uh, between commercials or between shows and it would spark a conversation with my parents. Um, you've, you've lived through the, the launching of, of YouTube and, and sort of our streaming video culture. Now that strikes me that that's an excellent opportunity for, um, for Historica Canada and the Heritage Minute. Um, but it also, you know, we're moving away from sort of that television monoculture. So I'm wondering where people watch Heritage Minutes now and are we, in fact, in a in a better spot? Are, are more are you getting more uptake? Are you getting more response because of the way video and streaming and social media enables what you do? Oh, no question. That's backed statistically. So to give you an idea on things. Um, uh, you know, I mentioned that our, so our Lucy Maud Montgomery release uh, online only uh, surpassed 2 million views. That was a year and a half ago in the first 30 days of release. Oh, wow. And the Jim Egan, the LGBTQ one, surpassed 2.5 million views in that time. So for television, um, the, for the last year for which we actually have statistics on it, in 2016, the minutes, you know, in their entirety, in other words, all of the 90 minutes or so, aired 116,000 times on Canadian television stations. So very, you know, very significant number. As to the actual audience that reaches, look, you know, we know that a lot of those are one or two o'clock in the morning off hours run as public service announcements. A lot of them are in smaller markets where they pick up. I mean, it's still a significant number, but our focus is online. In addition to all that, you know, there's a channel when you take a via rail train, a whole channel on Heritage Minutes that you can watch on there. Uh, We're on WestJet. Um, When you go to a lot of Tim's, you'll see a Tim Hortons, you'll see us in a lot of the cafes showing silently. So, 
if I can sort of take you a little further, we, when we make the minutes now, we specifically think about online and the fact that we expect that, that the majority of viewers will watch these on mobile devices. So we do it with an eye to a smaller screen. We're not thinking big screen here. And uh, we also certainly don't eliminate dialogue, but we think about making them in a way where if you're seeing it without sound attached, you'll still be able to make sense of it. Right. It's very visual. So I, and, and, you know, this transitions nicely into your latest minute, which is on the, um, the Vancouver, um, the Asahi baseball team Mm -hmm. in the 1940s, the Japanese baseball team that, um, uh, found success, but then was, you know, fell into the internment camps. Yeah. So talk to me about the production of that minute. I've watched it like three, four times since uh, the link was sent to me. It's really powerful. Yeah, and uh, well, I appreciate your saying that. And uh, we, first of all, we had seen about seven or eight pitches for the uh, idea of a minute on the Asahi for over the last five years, and always thought it was intriguing. But n- nobody seemed to. We we didn't feel anybody was quite telling, figuring out how to tell that story because the internment was such a pivotal part. Of course, you know, we're, you're telling several stories at the same time. So we had a couple of breakthroughs. The most important was um, a Vancouver-based company, Point Blank Productions, came forward and had a pitch that we thought. We looked and said, yes, that, you know, that feels like it. It was also a locally based company, and they had a history, while not you know, with a lot of Japanese Canadians on staff, of working with that community and a good line in, as, as we did, with people from there. So we, you know, we thought this was an absolutely... We've been looking to tell an internment story as well. We thought it was an important overlooked part of history for years, and that mm-hmm. was a familiar one. Yeah. Baseball was a great hook into it. And then the final thing was the discovery that there is still a player alive from those teams of the 1930s and early 40s, Kai Kamenishi, who's now 97 and as sharp as he's been in every day of his life. The transition to him at the end in the jersey was really, uh, really touching, really, uh, really hit it home. What has the response been like to, to this minute? Well, I mean, it's been, uh, it, you know, we're, we're just, you know, it's very early days of release. The numbers are very strong. So we'd be into the, I haven't looked uh, today, but we'd be into the tens of thousands of views, certainly already. Um, you know, some of the more notable, we get a lot of, we, we do a lot of uh, dealing with what we call influencers. With uh, You know, you'll be familiar with the term. In other words, uh, very well-known people with large following. So our our you know, volunteer board of directors includes Peter Mansbridge and Rick Mercer. Rick's got more than a million followers, so a retweet from him has big impact. One of the first people to pick it up on, you know, within hours of the release was George Takai, who you know played Sulu in the original Star Wars, who has more than six million followers worldwide. Oh, wow. So that's out with him. The prime minister tweeted it out, and that was immediately picked up by the government of Japan, uh, which is you know which has now carried that through. Which leads me to the next, which is in addition to the usual English and French that we always produce our minutes in. We have released this one in Japanese as well because Kai Kemenishi, who who does the narration, is fluent in Japanese, as is you know the great historian and writer Joy Kagawa, who does the narrative clothes for us too. And what's that like for you as the president of Historica Canada? You know, you know your teams, you know your people. When it is release day for a minute, um, and it goes as well as as this one's gone, like I, I got to assume pride is the word, but uh, you know, how does that feel? Oh, it's like nothing, <laughs> like nothing else that a job can give you. And I've had a great lot of satisfaction in things over the years. But to, you know, to be given the opportunity over a period of some time to oversee the minutes is, you know, one of the greatest opportunities in this country that anybody with any interest in creativity can ever hope for. So, you know, we all get really up for it. We all watch the numbers mounting. There's a lot of high fiving in the office when we start seeing new, <laughs> you know, new, uh, you know. I was doing a meeting yesterday with someone and heard this sudden outburst of cheers from outside the door and opened it 
up at my office door, and it was because we'd just learned about the uh, George Takai, you know, retweet, and then there was another thunderous applause later, and the PMs had come out. Uh, so it's yeah, it's a real thing. That's fantastic. Well, listen, I, I want to thank you very much, um, Anthony, for taking the time to chat with me today. And if people are interested in not just watching all of the Historica Canada, the, the Heritage Canada Minutes, which are on your YouTube page and are accessible online, if they want to take that next step and, and participate in a program or uh, become a donor or, or get involved, what's the best way for people to do that? Just got to Google up Historica Canada altogether, and it's actually historicacanada.ca, and that will take them everywhere they need to go, or they can look for us. You know, we're on every form of social media I can think of, from uh, you know, from Insta to Twitter to Facebook and beyond. And those, you know, those pathways will lead everybody back to us, and we'll be waiting with open arms. Thank you so much. Thank you. A great pleasure. Quality content is hosted by me, Alex Patterson. My senior producer is Sarah Turnbull. My editor is Aaron Reynolds. And Mira Ahmad makes everything in our lives just a little easier. The 2020 Network is presented by Interac and is a production of Canada 2020, Canada's leading independent progressive think tank. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. It helps more curious and engaged listeners like yourselves find us. As well, if you'd like to give us some feedback on how we're doing, like what you don't like new episode or guest ideas we're listening i'm at alex at canada 2020.ca a few quick organizational announcements for you first and foremost canada 2020 is launching a new initiative called no second chances where we take a look at the rise and fall of canada's 12 female first ministers that's right there have only ever been 12 in canada's history We're launching the project on International Women's Day in Ottawa, so head to Canada2020.ca to learn about how you can get involved. Next, I want to tell you about our Canada Food Brand Project. It's a really cool cross-country initiative aimed at understanding what stands behind Canada's food brand. Is it trust? Is it sustainability? Quality? Something else? It's an interesting and timely exploration of one of Canada's major economic drivers. So if you care about Canada's agri-food sector, or you want to learn more about it, you can follow our work at canada2020.ca slash canadafoodbrand. Finally, we've got a bunch of free programming going on in our studio space in Ottawa. For the full list of what's scheduled, head to our website and be sure that your name is on our mailing list. We often go to those people first with events and special announcements. That's it for me. Thanks very much for listening. The 2020 Network is brought to you by Interact. It seems like financial crime is a news headline every day. Everyone is looking for ways to keep their money safe, but what are some simple tips for businesses and Canadians to protect themselves? Interact is offering tips at interact.ca slash fraud prevention. 